You are listening to The Natural Philosopher with Dr. Mick Pope, a podcast on science, the environment, and the Christian faith. This podcast is written and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging of all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations, acknowledging that sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Well, welcome to another episode of The Natural Philosopher with me, Dr. Mick Pope. Now, I've talked about it for ages and finally it's happened. I would love to welcome... Uh, to this uh, podcast for the next couple of episodes, my friend, CEO of the Christian organization Common Grace, Waka Waka Woman, Brooke Prentice. Brooke, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me, Dr. Mick Pope. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I still can't get used to that being dropped when we do things together. Um, thought it might begin in, in the hope that non-Common Grace people will listen to this as well, um, who, and people who might not know you, to tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are when you're not CEOing. Yeah, would love to. So um, uh, my main kind of title is Aboriginal Christian Leader. And so my peoples, my Nan's country is Waka Waka Nation, one of the over 300 nations of Aboriginal peoples, Indigenous peoples in these lands now called Australia. And is about uh, Waka Waka country is three hours drive north uh, west of Minjin, uh, what people now know as Brisbane. Uh, but I was born up in far north Queensland on the land of the Indinji peoples and grew up on Gubby Gubby country. Uh, and I've lived most of my life on Gubby Gubby country, which most people probably know as like the Sunshine Coast area of these lands now called Queensland. And uh, interestingly, Waka Waka country and Gubby Gubby country are side by side each other. And, uh, you know, um, so uh, growing up in Gubby Gubby country, uh, a place called Redcliffe, its uh, traditional name is Cowan Cowan um, of the Gubby Gubby peoples. And uh, yeah, I've done uh, many things. My main profession has been as a chartered accountant, one of only 30 Indigenous chartered accountants in all of Australia. I left that in 2012, although I went back to it as well. Uh, so 2012 is when my Aboriginal Christian leadership journey really began. And that's when uh, I became an Aboriginal pastor uh, of an Aboriginal church on Yuggera um, and uh, uh, Yugrapul, uh country uh, in just west of uh, Minjin in Brisbane. And that's when I came into contact with Aunty Jean Phillips, one of our most senior Aboriginal Christian leaders, as well as some um, other amazing uh, Aboriginal Christian leaders at the Grass Tree Gathering. So that's where I met Uncle Reverend Graham Paulson, Uncle Pastor Ray Minicon, um, Uncle Neville Naden, Uncle Neville Lilly, uh, so many uh, of these amazing Aboriginal Christian leaders who uh, I've had the opportunity to learn from. Uh, and they've grown me up in my Christian faith uh, in a way. And so actually didn't become a Christian until the age of 21. Uh, and so... Um, have always known I'm Aboriginal, always identified as Aboriginal. I am Aboriginal and um, it's great to, uh, you know, 
uh, it's not just accounting. I've now done my theological studies uh, and obviously that professional background that I have having been in some of the largest uh, businesses in Australia and the world um, for like a career spanning about 15 years. That touches on so many things we could go down. Uh, the very fact that there are only 30 Aboriginal chartered accountants says a lot about the education gap uh, in this country. And also uh, one of the, I've, I'm sure your podcast listeners would love to know this, um, in terms of theology, we only have, uh, you know, we say a handful of Aboriginal Christian leaders who have a master's or PhD in theology. Mm. And so when I look at uh, my life, I say, uh, you know, with so few Indigenous chartered accountants that we've been kept out of the capitalist regime and we've been kept out of the theological regime and both have consequences and here they are as part of my life and uh, my worldviews and experience and um, uh, what that means for the present and the future, I think, is uh, quite interesting. Mm. And we might touch upon that later uh, when we come to think about the passage that we're going to, to pull apart and um, whether or not, for example, there should be a, a chair in, in Aboriginal theology in every theological institution in the country. Well, yes, I uh, second that motion. <laughs> um, something that's sorely needed. Um, just to tease out a little bit more, you talked a lot about different countries, and I know that you identify as a Waka Waka woman, um, and I didn't just want to introduce you as an Aboriginal woman or Aboriginal person. Can you just tease out a little bit more, because it really does feed into the passage we're going to look at, uh, why it's it's so significant and so important to identify with a particular country and not just a generic Aboriginal person and why that's more significant than, say, the rubbish that goes on between, well, I'm from Melbourne, I'm from Sydney, you know, why that's so much deeper than that? Yeah, that's a really great question. And uh, uh, country for us is part of how we identify. It's part of our story. Um, it's our identity. And um, so... Uh, uh, you know, for thousands of years, there's, uh, and still today, 300 nations of Aboriginal peoples covering every part of these lands now called Australia. And I do acknowledge our brothers and sisters, our Torres Strait Islanders, uh, that group of uh, very small islands, but many islands in the uh, Torres Strait, the area between the tip of Queensland and Papua New Guinea. Uh, but most of our, if we use the word Indigenous, uh, so I often don't use that because it takes away our separate cultural identities as Aboriginal peoples of over 300 nations, uh, but that is 90% of our Indigenous population. And then we have those uh, who are both Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, uh, and that's 6% of our total Indigenous population, and then a further 4% who are just Torres Strait Islander peoples and their Torres Strait Islander peoples of there are a hundred over a hundred islands in the Torres Strait. About twenty of them are, are lived upon, and so the islands are very important for our Torres Strait Islanders. Um, and you know the word Aboriginal and even Torres Strait Islander are not our words. Uh, they're English words. They're part of that colonial project uh, that took away our identities. Uh, and so it's important that we claim them today because we've never lost them. Uh, they've never been lost. Uh, and so your country isn't uh, where you've grown up, but where we are born, even where we're conceived is actually what country we're conceived on is an important part of our identity and then where you grow up and live. Uh, but it's where that family connection is for 
thousands of years. And for me, uh, my Aboriginality comes through my maternal side. So my mum, back to my mum's mum, my nan, and my nan's mum, my great-grandmother, and then all the generations before that uh, were from Waka Waka country. Just as an aside, what do you think of um, Australia Post's recent initiative? Oh, it's absolutely wonderful. And every time I receive mail and I do receive mail or send mail uh, to be able to put, you know, they're calling it traditional place name and for us it's country and you put that on and it brings me such joy. Like it just means such visibility, such uh, acknowledgement. Uh, and this is really how we do uh, have this shared history and mm-hmm. let's embrace it. Let's not ignore thousands of years. Uh, and just focus on the last 250, we're still here. And that's one of the things I say. It's a miracle that Aboriginal peoples survived when you understand the true history of these lands now called Australia. Uh, But that's no one else's miracle but God's miracle. Uh, It shows our resilience, our adaptability, and there's such important things that uh, non-Indigenous people can learn from us, um, especially as people who fight for justice, to learn from the Aboriginal peoples and um, our commitment uh, to caring for all, caring for country. I'm sure we'll go into that a bit further Mm -hmm. later. Uh, but to live in right relationship with each other. And we're still here and we're still here for a reason. And uh, I believe God continues to call us together. And that's partly why I'm so excited to be having this conversation with you. We need more conversations like this. And it shows a model of listening and, as we call it, yarning together. And then uh, you're learning um, together and we're growing together. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I did in a previous um, episode, I think, reflect upon what you wrote on the back of my book, A Climate of Justice, after you spent a long hour on the phone with me, helping me uncover the colonised nature of my language, which was quite a, well, it shouldn't have been a shock, but it was in a way, um, that reconciliation is something that's done in friendship. I know that's a, something to believe in, and I'll say this on on air, as I've said uh, before we came on air, I, I greatly appreciate our friendship, not just because I'm learning, you know, um, obviously appreciate our friendship per se, but the fact that um, I was aware, this is a little bit of a set, um, sidestep or whatnot, uh, when growing up that I didn't know any Aboriginal people. I didn't have an Aboriginal friend and it's like, um, always saw that as a lack, uh, saw that as there was something not quite right about it and not being able to put my finger on it. And it, it's not about, um, pursuing friendships with people because you're trying to be seen to do the right thing or, you know, see to be being culturally diverse or politically correct or any of the nonsense that gets sprayed about these days by certain people in conservative politics or theology, but just knowing that there's an issue and being just at the back of your mind bothered by that and seeing that the path forward, um, what's it that, that expression? Um, and it's, there's a, Aboriginal pastor or leader who said, in essence, you know, don't come to me as a white saviour, but if your future's tied, I'm, I'm mangling the quote. Do you know the precise quote? Uh, yes, it's Arnie Lilla Watson, who uh, is an amazing uh, traditional owner and Aboriginal leader uh, based in Brisbane. So I know her personally. Um, the quote. Uh, so... The quote is by Arnie Lilla Watson, uh, and it's, if you've come here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. Uh, She often doesn't like to be quoted with it, and it's been uh, misused sometimes, but uh, 
she's an amazing leader. And the way that I articulate that is that, um, uh, you know, as Aboriginal peoples, we know what has happened in the last 250 years, and that's to us as peoples, but to the lands, to the waters, to country. Uh, and if we are to build um, that safe climate for all, we must be listened to as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. And uh, But when you look at uh, the injustices, and that includes our ecological uh, injustices and in our, our environmental injustices, uh, we know as Aboriginal peoples, and I talked before about right relationship, we know that healing is needed. Mm. Uh, but my healing is bound up in your healing uh, and your healing is bound up in my healing. And as Arnie Jean Phillips puts it, uh, uh, our history is your history, your history is our history. And so what are we going to do about that? How do we come together? It's just that many non-Indigenous people don't actually realise that they need healing uh, but we can see it because we can feel it and we know that there isn't right relationship. And whether you call that reconciliation or conciliation, um, loving Aboriginal peoples as your brothers and sisters, as your neighbours, uh, we've got a long way to go in this country. Mm. And even if um, uh, something I've touched upon, uh, Uncle Ray Minikin said, even the church, or maybe especially the church uh, in this regard, who should know better um, and have often been very complicit um, in the whole process in the first place of, of colonisation. That's right. And, you know, as part of Common Grace's kind of uh, philosophy that we come together for the common good, we are finding common ground and we share in that common grace. But that common ground should be that love of Jesus, which should be expressed in the church. And for mm. me, that's a non-discriminating, all-inclusive love. But sadly, it's often in the church, whereas Aboriginal peoples, Aboriginal Christians, uh, we can be excluded, um, uh, suffer racism. And, you know, that hurts because it should be that space of common ground. Mm. And, you know, I do a lot of work in all different aspects of society. And um, for me, it's actually the church that is the last aspect of society to move with us, which is where I think it's a very spiritual issue. And uh, Christians who should know that love, uh, I pray and work towards the release of that spiritual bind um, and that we will see the flourishing of all peoples and all creation. Mm. Let's uh, pick up on that then since uh, we're getting circling back around to Common Grace. Now you're CEO and uh, even as a volunteer, my boss. So thanks for being on the program, boss. Um, uh, now, if I've got it correctly, and we're talking about this uh, before we came on air, you're the only Aboriginal person who is a CEO or a leader of a Christian organisation that's not Indigenous specific. Why is it, is it have I got that right? Is that um, Of a national Christian organisation. Yeah, I've got the word national in front of me and I didn't read it, sorry. So why is it so important, do you think, then, that you're CEO of Common Grace and what do you think Christian organisations who don't have an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person or peoples uh, as their CEO or on their boards, what are they missing out on? Yeah, so um, there's a couple of parts to that question. Uh, let me go back to the first one. Why is it important? Uh, you know, many people, after I say that fact, um, being the first Aboriginal person, uh, and some people say woman, and I'm like, no, no, it's actually man or woman, it's mm. person, um, to be a CEO or national leader of a national Christian organisation in Australia, uh, that 
people often celebrate and, and clap that. And I, I appreciate that. But I also point out it took this nation until the year 2020 mm. for that to happen. And so it's often our skills, expertise, experience is not recognised in the Christian church. Uh, and this is where, you know, you have incredible Aboriginal lawyers and doctors and um, uh, people succeeding in all sorts of psychologists, areas of society. Uh, but in the church and in Christian organisations, we've still got such a long way to go. And so I know that there are many elders and leaders that have gone before me who were more capable than I and, and led our nation and continue to lead our nation. And I've already mentioned some of them. Uh, but never got uh, to see those things. Um, I mean, even watching Uncle Neville Naden uh, preach at the ordination of, um, not the ordination, the commissioning induction ordination of uh, an archbishop. Mm. Um, and uh, that was like a first fast. We had never seen an Aboriginal preacher preach at such an occasion. Uh, and so he was the first back in 2019, uh, as far as that we know, and as I work with my elders and in their knowledge, um, their living knowledge. And so it shows us how far we still have to go. Uh, and I, you know, hope and pray that uh, me breaking that glass ceiling in a way does pave the way for others. And, you know, that's what my Aboriginal Christian leaders of the past and present have taught me is that we bring the community with us. And so people will often hear me when I speak, I'm always talking about other Aboriginal Christian leaders as well, because um, there's such a wealth of knowledge. And so that's really what people are missing out on uh, when you don't have our mob, our Aboriginal peoples in key um, leadership positions within uh, the different church denominations or church structures or Christian organisations. Uh, you're missing out on incredible expertise and knowledge, um, journey with the creator, uh, change agents. Uh, one denomination I had a major conversation with who was going through significant change and I said they had no Aboriginal people on kind of their change management board. And I said, we have worked in every level of um, community, uh, business, uh, society and government uh, and we are change um, agents. We understand mm. change and how to adapt to that. So uh, they still didn't put any of us on their big committee. Uh, and so, you know, you just do what you can, but you, um, it was Uncle Vince Ross, uh, amazing Aboriginal Christian leader who told me just to keep turning up and to keep sitting at the table because often we don't have a seat at the table. So when mm. you're given one to keep showing up, uh, but that comes with a lot of humility a lot of forgiveness and a lot of grace. Um, and it's that continual extension of our hand of friendship, which is one of my key messages that uh, we will keep uh, speaking truth to power and uh, seeking right relationship. Because the other thing is when non-Indigenous peoples get the relationship right with us as Aboriginal peoples, the world's oldest living continuing cultures, uh, that's kind of like the first step and then everything flourishes. So when you think about church and ministry, lots of churches are doing multicultural ministry. Uh, I don't know how you can do that when you can't get um, uh, ministry right with us as Aboriginal peoples. Uh, because if you can't get it right with the uh, peoples that God placed here thousands of years ago as those first peoples, uh, then what hope do we kind of have? And we see many things going wrong um, and lessons that should have been learnt from us. And so we're still trying to tell uh, those lessons because we've learned from them it's just non-indigenous people often keep 
repeating them. So come and sit down with us. Let us lead, not just listen to us, but actually let us lead. And if you create the space for that, you will see amazing things uh, happen and flourish and true depth of relationship, which is really what we're looking for. I was just thinking when you were talking about multicultural ministries, it's the fact that they work the way they do is it's predicated upon like, and I'm going to touch upon this again later, I think, Tyrannolius, it, it presumes, well, multicultural means anyone who's not white, basically. And I know we need to go back a step yeah. uh, and, and go back to that, however many tens of thousands of years it is. Um, I think the phrase time immemorial is more than sufficient. You know, yeah. let's not quibble over um, 40,000 years, anything between 60 and 100. But although it, it's interesting, it has some important implications when it comes to things like megafaunal extinctions and so on. But we won't go into to that. But, you know, you get my, my, my point is that um, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and, you know, okay. not to go on to the point, but it can often be a theological concept that is used to put us down as Aboriginal peoples a little bit. Um, and so those thousands of years, uh, we do extend the grace to be able to hold those different theological positions, whether it's, mm. you know, there's lots that it's 6,000 years versus 65,000 years or whatever it is. I'm happy to extend the grace um, to do that. But it's also for us, these are real generations of people that go back those 65,000, 100,000 years. It's not made up. It's it's real for us. Mm. And so um, it's an important part of that identity too. Mm. And a wonderful, um, uh, I was not surprised that the more I learn, the more I'm not surprised by anything. But the fact, for example, the end of the last ice age uh, and how the sea levels were, were, were rising in the providence of God and how that's captured in, in traditional storytelling mm. all around the coast. Yep. Um, so it, it kind of validates that, that antiquity. But also I think when you're talking about change agents, well, if we accept the science and we, we look at what's happened as Australia mm. slowly drifted north and as we've gone from uh, the last glacial maximum into the, the, the Holocene, which is the, the recent 12,000 years for which we're about to depart, thanks to human mm. read white Western activity, um, you certainly experienced a lot of change. Um, yeah. Yeah. Both, uh, both as part of the, I guess, quote unquote, the natural way of being, but also what happened when we arrived, um, which we'll get to. Um, this might be three programs. This is such a good conversation. Um, getting more to the specifics now of why um, you're here, particularly, it, we're coming up to season of creation and Common Graces is getting involved. Um, why, why does Common Grace get involved or promote Season of Creation and what does it offer when it does that other organisations maybe aren't able to? Yeah, so uh, for Common Grace, we've got our four key justice areas, so Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander justice, uh, creation and climate justice, uh, justice for people seeking asylum and refugees uh, and domestic and family violence. And uh, 
uh, all four are important and when Common Grace started eight years ago were areas the church wasn't really engaged with and we've seen great change um, across the church uh, in those eight years, which has been amazing and for Common Grace to be um, where it is today and to continue to grow as a movement of people's pursuing Jesus and justice. And so uh, we're really about uh, equipping Christians and churches uh, to take action for justice, uh, to educate themselves about injustice uh, and all of those things. So Season of Creation gives us a beautiful uh, opportunity to engage as Christians and to engage as a church. It is an international uh, time in the church calendar, but uh, in my experience, many churches have never recognised Season of creation and through common grace, uh, putting it on the agenda over the last few years, uh, it on the church's agenda, uh, we've seen great growth. And, you know, I remember only um, three years ago, I preached in my own church uh, during season of creation and using common graces materials. And uh, it's my sermon on, um, I talk about, um, uh, the birds and the trees. Uh, and so many people came up to me afterwards and they said, Brooke, in my whole Christian walk, I have never heard those elements of creation preached about before. And so it enables people to, you know, listen, um, tune into country um, and uh, to creation and climate uh, justice. And uh, it's an important part of God's word uh, in there and what our role as humans is as well. And so um, I encourage people to get involved for Season of Creation. It runs from the 1st of September to the 4th of October, 4th of October being St. Francis of Assisi mm. Day. And uh, many churches do do blessings of the animals and uh, excited um, uh, to see that across churches. It's quite a moment for the community, Christian and non-Christian, to come together and uh, for us, we've re-embraced Wattle Day as the 1st of September. And um, I talk about the wattle with its uh, green and gold and its uh, thousand, 1,000 types of acacia uh, here in Australia and looking at its botanical name, common name, and the Aboriginal name in each of the different nations uh, could be a sign of unity and diversity and that wattle um, being the actual colours of Australia of our green and gold, mm. uh, you know, uh, it's beautiful to frame that beginning of season of creation. I have flashbacks of seeing you do that at some point. I can't remember where or when, but yeah. Um, it's it's a mixed time of year for those of us who have bad sinuses. <laughs> yes, I did write about it in the blog last year. I've had asthma all of my life and uh, the waddle has not always been my friend. Um, it is these days, which is is good to not have those health concerns. But uh, yes. Cool. Definitely empathise and sympathise yeah, with many yeah. peoples. Um, we can appreciate their beauty, even if our noses don't appreciate it. So the theme, and uh, I, I confess to listeners, I only went and looked at this last night, and then it was, oh, thank goodness, because it, it ties in with a, a passage that I spent the past three and a half years mulling over. Um, the theme for this year is a home for all, question mark, renewing the oikos of God. And oikos uh, is the uh, the... Greek word for household, and interestingly enough, um, from the oik bit, we get echo in economics uh, and ecology, which mm. says a lot about how the two go together, and when one goes wrong, the other goes wrong. Mm. So I'd like to pull uh, apart a little bit the, the actual theme. So the first statement um, ends with a question mark, a home for all, and I, this resonates on so many levels in what we've been talking about. 
Now, home is a concept that's often used to exclude as well as include. So, you know, you, um, my home is where my immediate family lived and not anybody else kind of thing, um, be that as it may. Now, you're always saying, and I've picked up on this myself, I, I use this now, these lands now called Australia, and in particular is a, an Aboriginal person, a Waka Waka woman, you'll, you say these lands now called not that we call because you don't call it that. And there's, there's, we'll unpack more of that later. Um, the issue is that these lands have been home to Aboriginal peoples for millennia, as we've been talking about, yet the rest of us are part of peoples who come from overseas very recently. In fact, I'm the child of two what was called 10-pound poms who, you know, after the war and wanting to raise the white population, they offered money to, to bring uh, the Brits over. So I kind of feel like I've recapitulated history in a way. Anyway, I'll deal with that. Um, where am I driving with this? Um, how does this, this, um, this, this understanding of home and the fact that we've come in and, and tried to take your home from you, it's been your home for millennia, frame everything that we do, including what it means to renew the household of God? Yeah, so, um, I mean, some initial thoughts are, uh, you know, with our common grace and talking about um, uh, the common good and common ground and common grace. And so naturally I go to common home. Uh, and it's interesting as you focus on the common, um, often, uh, and this is where home can be uh, manipulated in a way, as can common be manipulated. Um, the common good isn't by... Uh, an elite white man in these lands now called Australia, it actually sounds more like coming from an Aboriginal woman. Uh, what does common, uh, the common good actually look like? And um, so I think it's who's in charge of the narrative. And when I first saw the theme of season of creation for this year, I was so glad that that little question mark is in there, a home for all question mark. And it kind of did bring up connotations for me of home, um, of exclusion, exclusion from these lands now called Australia. I have a speech called The Power of We uh, and talk about Australia decides when as Aboriginal peoples we're in and when we're out. Um, when people talk about those Australian values of mateship, a fair go um, for all uh, freedom, uh, you know, those things haven't applied to us and still don't apply to us uh, in the year 2021. Uh, and so, uh, when you look at the injustices like Aboriginal deaths in custody, like the not free um, prior and informed consent with traditional owners uh, over our lands, over our country. And then, you know, when you think about household, I think most people will think in the Western sense of a house, um, the bricks and mortar, the timber, mm. the four walls, the roof, the, the floor. Uh, but underneath that is the land. And this is where I think, you know, when we reframe the common home, uh, for us it's less like a, a house that we live in today and it looks like country, mm. uh, country that creator created. Uh, that is the household of God. It's what God placed here. And we as Aboriginal peoples deeply understand that. Um, you know, we talked about the 300 nations of Aboriginal peoples in these lands now called Australia. And that's why it is these lands. I'm trying to bring honour to those 300 nations because there's many lands in this one um, kind of big island that was named Australia with another little island to the south called uh, <laughs> Tasmania today. Uh, I'm not forgetting my friends in Tasmania. Um, and 
you know, this is where people don't fully understand country. Like so many people, when we talk about country as Aboriginal peoples, they think it's just the land or somehow it's just the peoples. But country is all lands, waters, sky, trees, plants, animals, birds, fish, rocks, mountains. I'll add in insects. I always feel a bit sad for the insects as well because I don't name them. Uh, And then it's all peoples. And so I talked before about right relationship and, you know, uh, that is the creator's law that was given to us to um, there's three key ones that I often talk about. It's to know who the creator is, to care for all creation and to live in right relationship. That means to live in right relationship with our non-Indigenous brothers and sisters of all cultures, no matter when your family might have arrived here in these lands now called Australia in the last 250 years. And so we have a responsibility to country as Aboriginal peoples. And so you are part of country. And so we must care for you and teach you and give you safe passage and and all of those things. And it's not an exclusion. It's actually a belonging. It's a welcome. And that's part of our deep-seated cultural values include hospitality and generosity. And a lot of people don't see those in Aboriginal peoples, but they're our core cultural values. And that's why... You know, when we gather as community, if you're an Aboriginal person and have the privilege to have a home, because many of our people don't, on uh, census night in 2016, uh, one in 20 Aboriginal people were homeless. Um, That's another one of the injustices and the poverty that exists in these lands now called Australia. But when you do have that privilege to have a home, it is a home for anyone um, and for everyone. Uh, and so it's this very Western concept of a home is just for you and your immediate family and uh, this sort of thing. So I'm hoping that season of creation and this theme uh, really brings about that sense of deconstructing the Western worldview and actually looking at what does the household of God mean? For me, it's country and everyone belongs. That's fantastic. Um, it just a couple of things that come to mind when hearing you say that it really does hammer home. And I don't think enough um, white fellas and quite get it. The, the significance of what welcome to country is when a ceremony is performed mm. and it's not again, to, to say something I said earlier, ticking a box or doing the politically correct thing, or mm. even engaging a little bit of, um, the word I'm looking for, uh, kind of dabbling in multicultural or intercultural relationships. So it, it's, it is far, far deeper than that. And often, I, I suppose one of the things for myself is that under that model, though, I'm always going to be welcomed to a country, even the country that I sit on all the time. Um, I can't see an end to that, um, but that's just the way it is. Do you know what I'm trying to drive at? That, um, yeah. Europeans have not been here since time immemorial, therefore we'll always be welcomed, but maybe we need to sit with both those things at once, which is, yes, I will always need to be welcomed to country, but if I'm going about things the right way, I will always be welcomed to country and and not to take that for granted. Um, That's right. And that's where that going about things the right way, which means the Aboriginal peoples are teaching you and you're respecting uh, those things, like to um, not disrespect the creator, Mm-hmm. Uh, to care for creation and to participate in right relationship, to to walk softly and gently upon the land, um, to listen deeply, uh, to receive hospitality and return it um, and give it back in return. 
And I think that's where that other important word is about the renewing mm. uh, that's in that season of creation theme title. And I feel like this is a time, it is a moment in time where we have the opportunity uh, to actually listen to one another and that that renewal is possible, but it takes all of us and it takes um, caring and protecting country as well um, and taking that seriously, that not prioritising profit and greed over caring for creation. Uh, we have to do that. We are at an existential crisis uh, in here in Australia as, as well as the world and you know, I could say for 250 years, we've been screaming about that as Aboriginal peoples. Um, and we're still doing that today. Uh, but we need to come together as all peoples of all cultures to to take um, that action. And, you know, even I, I do resonate with what you're saying about always having to be welcomed to country. But it's also looking to your Aboriginal friends and how we model it. Country isn't Australia. Country is 300 nations. Mm. So even myself as a Waka Waka woman who tonight, um, today sits on the lands of the Wongal peoples, one of the 29 clans of the Eora Nation, uh, I need to be welcomed to this country. I need to pay my respects and to acknowledge country because the story is much bigger than, you know, how the two years I've been living on this country um, being Wongal and Gadigal, the neighbouring country. And so we're doing this every day. And so our non-Indigenous brothers and sisters can learn from us. Mm. Um, and it's about taking a different posture. It's not a posture of ownership or this is my land and um, this is my home. It's uh, let's respectfully sit with one another and yarn together and um, respect all those things. Well, that's all we have time for this episode. I hope that you'll join me for part two of my uh, interview with Brooke Prentice next week. Uh, for now, thanks for listening and God bless. You have been listening to The Natural Philosopher. This podcast was written and produced by Mick Pope. The theme music is from Antonio Vivaldi's Four Seasons, conducted by John Harrison with the Wichita State University Chamber Players and downloaded from the Free Music Archive. You can subscribe to this podcast on Podbean, Apple and Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can also like and comment on my Facebook page, Mick Pope, Natural Philosopher.